Welcome to another episode of the Underground Bunker Podcast. This is your proprietor, Tony Ortega, and today I am joined by none other than Kate Bornstein. Kate, how are you? Hey, I've missed you, Tony. <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been like lurking in the edges of your trial reports. Oh my God. This is so good. Am I jumping in too fast? No, that's Cause... fine. Well, just to just to remind some of our readers that maybe are not uh, familiar, it was 11 years ago, uh, just a couple weeks ago was the 11th anniversary, 11 years ago that uh, you were on the cover of The Village Voice when I was the editor <laughs> there. I wrote about Scientology, you know, all the time, but I always kept it on the website. This was the one time. I put a Scientology story in the paper version of the Village Voice, and that was to put you on the cover because your story is so amazing. You were actually first mate or something to L. Ron Hubbard on the Apollo, and you have gone on to become this very well-known performance artist in New York City and just a fabulous person all around. Really enjoyed telling that story. And, you know, it's I'm just very fortunate that you kind of kept up on the bunker ever since then. And especially I, I had noticed that you were tweeting some things about the trial. So I was just curious. I know, you know, you're, you're one of our great bunker members. Just, I just wanted to get your thoughts about this whole thing and how it's been going. I figured you had some observations to make. Sure. And, and I do. And I've got stuff I'd like to bring up, but in terms of me being a bunker member of it, let's address that. I don't, Mm. I don't jump into conversations. I've found that they don't sit well with my stomach anymore. <laughs> and my back tends to tense up. And so I, I don't get into too many conversations about Scientology anymore. But with you, let's gav at it. Well, let's well let me uh, let me just correct that then. If the bunker had a celebrity center you would be coming to the president's office for special treatment. How about if we put it that way? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. So, um, yeah, we had a trial last October. It ended in a hung jury. Now we've got a retrial. Um, I'm I'm here every day. Sometimes it's a little tough for me to get some perspective, but I don't know. Does it translate to you, Kate, that the prosecution does seem to be doing a better job this time? Yeah, it, it definitely does. Like, it was boring to read him before <laughs> uh, last time. You go, yeah, 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 okay. But he seems like he's charging in on it. And so does um, Deputy DA Anson. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Ariel and the two of yeah. them are the two of them hand off well to each other. And that's one another thing. You're right. They have shared duties more this time than last time. I think all of the witnesses were questioned by Mueller last time. This time we've seen Ariel Anson doing some of the questioning. Uh, and I think Mueller's done a better job when he's done it, but she is really interesting to watch. She's a She's a very sharp person and, and really good in the questioning, I think. All right. The most important question of the whole trial. Yes. What is it with Cohen not giving you the time of day? <laughs> Does he resent your sartorial splendor alerts or what? You know, it's, I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it until Sean Hawley 
showed up this time and um you know i've written some things about holly that she probably doesn't love the fact that i i revealed that that the reason why she missed the first trial was she was handling this secret arbitration of this former los angeles dodgers pitcher she probably wasn't thrilled about that that's right that's however right. i mean within the first few days of this trial she was smiling at me saying good morning just polite just being polite and at one time, she actually came up to me and said something about, you know, um, it's, you know, I know that she's, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to, it was probably not something I should repeat. But basically, it was just basically that, you know, there's no reason why we can't be friendly in the courtroom, right? So, right. and she is, and she has, you know, tried to drag me in a couple of times. So I know she's got a job to do, but that only made it more obvious to me how Cohen just never looks in my direction, always has a scowl on his face. And I, I what, what what do you think, Kate? Do you think he just doesn't? I mean, he dresses in such a unique way. Do you think it really offends him that I'm pointing that out? It, you know, that's the only thing I can see. What I when I read your search, I look forward to the sartorial splendor alerts and I read them with gusto. And you know, I picture them in my mind. And it seems to me you're praising him. I mean, you are. You go, wow, look at this. And he's in this, this I, I don't know, colors. You get into the best colors. I don't know how you name them. Um, well, you, you know, in the first trial, there were more reporters around. And it got to the point where every morning we had a little pool. It's like, okay, what's he wearing today? What color is that? And people will be looking it up. I had like three or four helpers, uh, you know, trying, we were all trying to decide what, you know, shade that was. This time I don't have so much help, but um, yeah. And I always look, I always uh, try to couch it in terms of, hey, let's, let's celebrate it. If he's going to make this show, we might as well celebrate it because I mean, it is, you know, I don't know how everybody feels about it, but I am disappointed when he comes in wearing just a drab, you know, dark gray suit. It's like, well, he's not making an effort. Well, I don't know. I guess he doesn't like it. Well, know. that was funny then. Um, when readers were commenting that they were sure it was Holly who said, you dress down and don't upstage me. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was during her, 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 um, her Greek, what is it? Cross? Cross of Jane Doe's three. Yeah. That's right. That that he was, you know, like a funeral director. Yeah, and I I wondered if she'd said something to him, but then Judge Omeo finally brought up an issue, brought that up, and he said because she he had brought up the color again, and he said something about how well I'm talking today, so so that implied that he had tried to be a little bit less conspicuous when Holly was taking the lead. So I mean, ah, maybe there was something to that. I don't know. All right. Do you think Judge Almeida reads your blog? Do you think it, I mean, your Substack? Well, the reason why I thought she did in particular was during the prelim, which was two years ago. <laughs> and that was when uh, Vicky Pabreski, the infamous now Vicky Pabreski, uh, was sitting in the front row. And I was sitting in the front row. This was back in 21. They still had the strict COVID rules. And there were very few seats available. And so Vicky Pabreski and I ended up basically next to each other. There were a few, few feet between us. 
And that's when I noticed that she was just furiously typing everything being said at that prelim. The, the prelim was in May 21. And that's when the, that was the first opportunity these women got to go under oath and testify about what happened to them. And not only was she typing super fast, but it was ebbing and flowing. So if the people were talking, she's typing. They stopped talking, she was slow. And I realized she's transcribing. There was just no question. Vicki Podreski is sitting in the front row transcribing the event on her laptop. Okay, now why would a lawyer be doing that? Because the thing is, the lawyers can get transcripts from the court reporter. I mean, it takes a little time, but there's no reason for a lawyer to be doing that unless I realized she was providing a live transcript to David Miscavige. And I said so in my story. I said that, you know, I, I remember was in, I was in Texas when I saw these attorneys running out to the hall to call Miscavige. I know that he wants as fresh a report as possible. Okay, the next time there was a hearing, Judge Omedo had laid down all these super strict rules about electronics. Lawyers could not have laptops. Reporters couldn't have laptops. Reporters were forced to start using pen and and paper because she had put all these strict rules. Now, Kate, I don't know. I just came to the conclusion that she had read that story or it had been brought to her attention. And she, you know, she didn't want Miscavige getting a lot. Not that she's against the Church of Scientology, just that that's, that's just kind of gross, that the, the leader of Scientology is getting like a live feed. So um, eventually, <laughs> eventually yes, eventually she did relent and today she allows reporters in the back row to have laptops, but we can't have our phones. We can't do live transmissions. And to this day, nobody can have, nobody else in the courtroom can have phones or, or laptops. It's still a legacy of that. And so that, for that reason, I thought she's aware of what I'm writing. Now, I don't, there are other times when she has said some things that suggest to me maybe she's not paying super close attention, but I, I think she's aware. Uh, of what press is going on out there. And, you know, jurors are strictly not supposed to be paying attention to the media, but I think judges can do whatever the hell they want. I'm not 100% sure about that. Well, what's cool about your your coverage is that it's not biased. You, you, you're giving as close to a transcript as you can. And honestly, it's like seeing a terrific courtroom drama unfold thank you you know i am i i i kind of stumbled upon that the first week of the first trial that with no cameras this was kind of a unique service that i could provide and and part of the reason i was i decided to do that was i was sitting next to a dozen reporters from great outlets who are very good at what they do what am i going to do that's different than what they're doing and then i realized well that's what i can do is just try to give people a sense of what happened and I'm not the court reporter. I'm not typing every single word. I'm trying to get as much as I can. But, you know, fortunately, these attorneys are very long-winded. And so they tend to start every question with, <laughs> at some point in time, uh, is it true that he indicated to you? And I don't type any of that. I'm just waiting for the actual, you know, did he say X, Y, Z? And then I write, did he say X, Y, Z? I just leave all that preamble out. So that helps. And and I so if you got the actual transcript, you would see there's a lot of that extra verbiage. But I think I'm getting 
what you know what is important. And I've heard from numerous people that have been in the courtroom and read my reports and said it's very close to what they remembered. So that's what I'm trying to do. And sometimes they say things that uh, aren't great for the case against Danny Madison. I put it in anyway. Sometimes they say things about me that aren't great, but I put it in anyway. <laughs> Just the nature <laughs> of it. But all right. What I look forward to, what I've been looking forward to every week is at the end of the day, your videos. I play the barber and I watch them up on the big screen. You know, we have like a, a 32 inch television. You know, that's oh. our big screen. But we put you up there and off you go. And that's when you give us so much emotional reading of the trial um it's it's a great way it has been a great way to end the day and thank you i know well, i know a lot of readers have been up for that really well, thank you I, thank you very much i i do get some comments from people that don't like the fact that i'm um putting some opinion in but i figure that's the one time i should is that yeah during the day, I'm giving you reports of just what people said, and I'm doing my best to give you a sense of what it's like. So there might be some slight observations in there, but it's basically just what's going on. But then at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you what I think, you know, and uh, try to, you know, point out what's important, what's the most important thing. And yeah, I sometimes get really kind of passionate about it because I guess the stuff that really sets me off, Kate, is when it feels like Scientology is getting away with something. That's what really bugs me is that, you know, they're constantly sandbagging the courts. They're constantly fibbing to the courts. And that just, you know, angers me. And also sometimes what's happening in court needs to be put in a larger context of what we've seen before. And so I get kind of passionate about that. But uh, yeah, I, I look forward to that as well. All right. Speaking of Scientology getting away with it, before we get to the great big getting away with it, like stolen documents, there's an interesting thing. I I haven't heard this picked up on. Um, I'm not sure who is it said this. I might have been Jane Doe Three. I never wrote this email. I don't use that kind of. Language. Oh yeah. Right. Well. Wait a minute, who did? Who, who wrote that? Because they had emails there from her account. And I'm thinking Scientology's there typing that shit up. You know, it's called spoofing. And that's when somebody sends out an email under your name and apparently from your account that you didn't write. It's a real uh, phenomenon. And it happened to me. Scientology was spoofing me back around the year 2016 or something and i caught them and then a year later i heard from the department of justice that they had uh arrested this guy that was doing it for <laughs> some for some other stuff but that they were giving me the opportunity to come down and speak at his sentencing and it turned out he targeted me and mike rinder and once he realized once we realized he targeted me and mike rinder we knew who his client was right um so that is a real thing that that a court case showed that Scientology was paying a guy to pretend he was sending out emails under other people's name and other breaking into other people's emails. 
So we know Scientology is capable of doing that. The question is, did it happen this time? And, and that was a very odd moment. You really got to hand it to Jane Doe 3 because they, you know, Sean Hawley put that email up on the overhead. I couldn't really see it. It was too far for me. But she looked at it. And rather just than just accept what they put in front of her, she says, I have an issue with this. And I remember we were all kind of like, what? And, you know, she says, I recognize some of it, but I didn't write some of these other parts. And she really stuck to her guns. I really admire, right. admire what she, because imagine, Kate, you're on a witness stand, you're being cross-examined by Sean Hawley. She's putting this thing in front of you. She's just put a previous email that you had sent out two weeks before. And she admitted that that was her email. So this was, I thought it took a lot of guts of her to, to put her foot down and say, I did not write this. Now, the issue was, though, that in a criminal trial where Judge Romano is trying to keep things going, uh, they're not going to stop and figure it out. And that's a shame. I mean, maybe in the civil case, they'll have uh -huh. some time to investigate and see if they can't prove who put that email together. And, of course, I just wanted her to know what was in it. And Sean Hawley initially had said she was going to read it out loud, and uh, the judge wouldn't let her. So we don't know. Was it, was it an email to... Masterson was that what it was? Because what, she said, "May you rot in hell." I don't use that kind of language. What what uh, it appeared to be was um, okay. She and Danny broke up in two thousand two. Danny and Bijou began dating, I believe, in two thousand four, and they were married in twenty eleven. And about halfway through that dating period, this email was dated 2007. It was purportedly from Jane Doe 3 to Danny, her ex. And apparently it had some negative information about Bijou. So it kind of came off like, hey, Danny, this is the woman you're really seeing. Something like that. I don't. It you know I it was really hard to know and and that's what I'm saying just based on the context of what Holly and Jane Doe three were saying I again I could not read the only thing I could make out from the back row was it clearly did say hey Dan were the first two words and that's one of the things she said why she knew she didn't write it because she never called him Dan never called him Dan that was another part of it right. So I don't, but I don't know what was in it or what was said. And 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 I don't, I don't know if we'll ever hear more about that email, but you're right. That was a very strange moment in this trial. Okay. Well, I, I wonder how much, in other words, that popped up and they got found out on the leaked documents. How much are they getting away with that we don't know about? Oh, very, my question. Yeah. Very good point. I mean, uh, we know they've had, you know, agents in there most days. Uh, we sniffed one out the other day. My colleague, uh, another reporter, managed to identify yet another colleague of Vicky Pabareski who was there and not identifying themselves, even, even when the reporter asked them. So we know Scientology is keeping an eye on it, keeping tabs on people. Um, I don't know what else they're getting away with, but this is pretty shocking. Um, that Deputy D.A. Mueller would, you know, start out with, I guess that was Wednesday. We started out with him saying that, mm. um, you know, the, we're, I'm starting to get a little more detail. I think what happened was pretty early in the case, 
uh, or just before the first trial, the uh, well before the first trial, actually, the, the prosecution at some point has to turn over what they have to the other side. Okay, it's called discovery. Yep. And they redacted it. So in other words, sensitive information, sensitive people's contact, whatever it is. But as he described it, you got emails between the victims and the police, text messages, photos. Okay, these were all things that the prosecution had to share with the defense, but that it was under the understanding that it had to stay within those two teams. So the attorneys, the investigators, but they have to keep control of it. And I say early because uh, Holly and Cohen are definitely given the impression that if there was a leak of this material, the Scientology, it happened before them. This is why I said in a video the other day, I really, I really feel like Mesro is the person they should be looking at. I really feel like it may have been Mesro and you know, I pointed out numerous times when he was doing David Miscavige's bidding. So, Holly all but admitted that it was Mesro uh, this time. She said something about a previous counsel and a civil proceeding or something. So, I think that's probably what they're going to look at. But what happened on, on Friday was Holly was doing her best to minimize it, Kate. I mean, she's like, look, you know, this was a civil, civil thing, and there's no protective order in place. She's basically trying to say no harm, no foul. And the DA was having none of it. You know, you have to understand, Reinhold Mueller is an interesting guy. He's he's very tall. Uh, His suits fit fabulously. The guy is always very well decked out. (laughs) But you know he's a he's he's soft spoken, mild mannered. I mean, this is a, this is a guy you're just never gonna see much excitement out of. So I can tell, just as somebody who's been around him for a couple of years, he's boiling. He's really upset that his private that this material ended up in the Church of Scientology's hands. But he's being careful. He's like, you know, as far as what they want to do with this, um, and. The judge wants to get to the bottom of it. The judge went through a lengthy explanation on Friday where she was saying, look, this is different than a civil case. This is a serious criminal case. There are special rules for handling discovery. And then also, Jane Doe One's Marcy's law attorney, Dominic, was there. And he read a statement that they're very unhappy about this. So I I think they're going to take this very seriously. And then on the timing... I know some people were disappointed when I first reported that they were talking about a post-trial hearing, but this time she was saying after the jury has the case. Well, that'll be Tuesday afternoon, most likely, possibly Wednesday morning. But uh, so, does that mean we might get a hearing on Wednesday or Thursday? I'm down for it. I'd like to I see that. <laughs> All right. Um couple of things but what i'm interested in is you have mentioned that there's an ongoing grand jury about scientology and every time you bring that up my memory is not good anymore every time you bring that up i go really there is and it's been going on forever right and would they be interested in this would they be investigating this that's a great question. I mean, 
I I think I think they would really need to pay attention to this. Um, yeah, I got got a slap on the wrist from Judge Olmedo because I overheard Sean Hawley mention the grand jury in a sidebar, right. Right. and I reported on that. But actually, I first reported on the grand jury in uh, last year. Oh, actually, more than a year ago, I think, because oh, Mueller himself had come into court talking about Marty Singer's grand jury testimony. And that was the first time it was, I mean, I'd heard about. Oh, right. I had okay. heard, I've been, I've been hearing about a possible grand jury for a long time, Kate. But I was being careful. I was not, there was no way I was going to say anything about it without some confirmation. And then Mueller came into court and said, we've got this grand jury testimony from Marty Singer. And I was like, wow, there it is. There's the proof. That was, um, I don't know, last year sometime or a year and a half ago. And in that exchange, he told them that the grand jury had started in 2018 and had well, gone through and had gone through two, I guess, I guess what they, they impanel them and they have sessions. And so that was. There was one from 2018, 2019, and then another from 2019, 2020. And then this was 2022, I think, when he was mentioning it. So uh, at that point, my impression was, okay, the grand jury looked into this, but ultimately the DA charged Danny. And my understanding was that was on purpose. If the, if the, if the grand jury had indicted Danny, they would go straight to trial. But that the DA's preference was let's charge him ourselves so that we get a preliminary hearing. And they wanted a preliminary hearing to give the women kind of a dry run of, of testifying about this stuff. That's the impression I got. I might be wrong. But that's how it worked out was that so so it seemed at that time like, oh, there was a grand jury. It was looking into this, but the DA went ahead and made the charges. Well, that's why it was so amazing a couple of weeks ago when I overheard Sean Hawley talk about this, and then the, the judge, Judge Omedo, said to Mueller, this proceeding we're talking about, is it still ongoing? And he said, yes, it is. <laughs> and, so that means, Kate, that this grand jury has been meeting and discussing Scientology for five years. I know. Okay, great. Great. They've, Great, got to enter, but, they've got to enter the underground bunker into the record, well, every page of it. I mean, the, the question that, that, that emerges is, when are they going to do something? I mean, yeah. five years of investigation? I mean, I, I the problem, maybe the most optimistic interpretation is they're waiting for a verdict. You know, they're, they're waiting to see how this case turns out before they make any other moves. But clearly, just based on the uh, testimony that these women have given, it sure is like um, there are examples of Scientology trying to subvert justice and telling these women not to go to the police, harassing them. So it's, you know, while the criminal trial is focused, mere, the, the focus of this criminal trial is very simple. Did Danny Masterson have consent or not when these incidents with these three women occurred? 
Judge Almeida is not going to put up with explorations into any other areas. Uh, and that's why there still are some limits on the Scientology material now, is it's not a trial about, you know, Scientology's other problems. So, but the grand jury can go anywhere, Kate. The grand jury can go into anything that Scientology might have done here. And so, it, you know, five years, you'd think that they might be getting some things that they're interested in charging somebody. So I, I just think we have to wait till we have a verdict. Which I may just come love as, it. Which may come as soon as this week. You know, we may get a verdict by Wednesday or Thursday. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, I want to pivot. I want to pivot to making some fun of people. Okay. Um, Cohen, right? You copy, you you do the transcript of him doing cross-examinations. I cringe every time I'm reading. He's like a bad sec checker. He just <laughs> goes, I will repeat the command. And he sounds like that. I don't know what he sounds like, but in my head, he sounds like he's sec checking them. They all, he needs a meter. He needs a meter. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Sean Hawley's uh, method is a lot more polite, uh, but he has to walk a fine line. He doesn't want to appear to be beating up these women. He comes a little close sometimes, but Judge, sure Omedo, Judge Omedo's very quick with the ban hammer as far as uh, she'll tell him if he's starting to badger witness. So he's... he. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got this little routine he does where he'll say, uh, did you tell Vargas that? No. Did you tell Reyes that? No. Did you tell, you know, and it's just, he's just obviously just trying to stretch, right, out, the, right. stretch out the point. Uh, and Holly doesn't do that. And the judge really doesn't like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, at least he's curbed one of his worst tendencies. And that was he loves to pace. And he would pace all the way. <laughs> he would pace all the way back and forth across the courtroom as he was doing this. And the women finally complained because when he would move over to one area, if they're going to keep their eyes on him, now they're looking at the Masters family and they don't want to do that. And so they they told him something. And so he is now sticking more to the lectern that's close to the jury box. Um I think he realized he really can't do that anymore. So that at least he's curbed that. But in general, yeah, he's um, he, he it's it's it cannot be fun going through that experience. I really feel for these women. Yeah, this whole idea of entering into the record this time, the mindset that Scientology instills. This is coming out big time the whole subject of well i wasn't allowed to think of it as rape i wasn't allowed to say it was rape he said i couldn't say rape i hope the jury is hearing every fucking word of that well and didn't you aren't weren't you amazed to see so much about things like the conditions and yeah eth ethics programs and different kinds of reports that's all so much more detailed this time isn't it yep 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 and was it rachel what's she was a witness rachel there's two rachels the rachel s who's the cousin of jane doe one and then the rachel d 
who's a friend of Jane Doe 2. And the Rachel D, who's a friend of Jane Doe 2, is the one who was a Scientologist. So maybe that's the one you're thinking of? That's it. Okay. She, I, I wrote down what you said. And you said, all right, this is from Rachel your D. reporting. Okay. Everything in Scientology is based on statistics. So an upstat is someone who's in a position of power. It's sort of above the law. And then I was just a downstat. I was referred to as what's called the degraded being after leaving stat. I was very subservient to these kinds of people. And you go, oh, my God, are you hearing this, jury? Please, every word. Yes, and she was very good also about how she was she she really explained well i thought how what a bad position she was in because she feels very close to jane doe 2 very close at that time jane doe 2 comes to her and says danny raped me well she doesn't use the word she doesn't use the r word there in scientology uh you know danny danny treated me very roughly like a jackhammer all this and she explained that and she feels terrible about it today but she explained that she couldn't hear this because um, not only would she be interrogated about what her friend was saying and her friend was committing, you know, overts or whatever, but that she couldn't think bad thoughts about Danny. Here it is, quoting again. I wasn't allowed to have negative thoughts about someone like Danny because he was an upstat. And if I was to report something, I myself would be punished and investigated. He was above the law. So I was definitely not trying to criticize him in any way. Holy smoke. That was one, I to me, that was one of the best you know, moments about Scientology in this whole trial. Exactly. And uh, just another tiny little thing about the prosecution. This this is Rachel S. I'm, I'm sorry, this is Rachel S. we're talking about. I said Rachel D. I'm wrong. Rachel D. was the cousin of Jane Doe 1. This is Rachel S., who is the uh, friend, uh, former friend of Jane Doe 2. They are saying her last name in court. I'm saying Rachel S. just because I know she's sensitive about uh, publicity. Um, she was the she was literally the last witness we heard from in the first trial, and it felt like she was. It felt superfluous. I wasn't sure why they brought her on. This time they moved her up. And wow, did she provide some amazing testimony. Also, she was uh, feisty. She she was really kind of, I think she was nervous, but she was kind of giving it to Cohen. It was really, really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> but yeah, those, those lines, those, I mean, I got to tell you, that was really amazing stuff from her. I'm really glad she got into that. I just felt like there were numerous times in this retrial in a way that didn't happen in the first trial, where I really felt like I was learning things about Scientology, that I was amazed to be to witness it being talked about this way in court. And yeah, I agree with you, Kate. If this jury would just pay attention this time, um, I mean, that we can't control. But it, it just seems to me like they did a much better job uh, presenting the Scientology material. So one more thing that Rachel S., the ex-Scientologist, no, yes. one more thing she said yeah. she, about the TRs. She said, these drills we did, 
over and over, sometimes for hours. The goal was not to react to anything. It enabled me to detach from my body, my feelings, from any threat response. Putting my TRs in or lock it down. You have no feelings about this and no response and no reaction. And I'm going, oh, my God, is that what TRs have become? Or were they always that? Because I don't remember that. I just remember, okay, you just don't show a reaction. That's what it was about. Not losing your feelings, not exteriorizing from your body. Um, I wonder if they're teaching something else now. Well, well, I'd love to hear from the other, you know, readers of the bunker what they. Uh, yeah, because they're too. they're going to know a lot better how to answer that than me. I I don't know, but. Uh... Yeah, that well, also, you know, I remember when we talked about your journey that uh, it seemed like the Scientology you got into was a lot um, less sort of totalitarian than what seems to be the case today. Well, it was pretty totalitarian, and and Hubbard, there was no Miscavige, but there was a Hubbard, and he wasn't always angry. Mm-hmm. There were times when he was jovial. And it seems like the, I don't know, Miscavige is either angry or sadistic. Sadistic enjoying, what is it, uh, Schadenfreude? What's that one? Yeah, well, he, he, he seemed, I remember it was, um, remember Jenna, Jenna's book, Jenna Miscavige Hill, writing about her uncle. And she talked about that it was her observation. He just seemed to get off on just ruining other people's lives. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know if that's schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is more, you're just sort of passively observing and you can't help enjoying somebody else's uh, misfortune. But he's he's more active than that. He's actively trying to cause that misfortune in other people, I think. Okay, when I was in Scientology, that didn't seem to be the case. I mean, okay. there were people in science, of course, there were there were folks who who were that way, but I never got that from Hubbard himself. Because I was in, let's see, just to give time frame, I was in from 1970 through 1981. Okay. And also before Miscavige. Also, what I remember is a, we're getting away from the trial a bit, but what I always thought was really interesting about your story was how you described, I think you were in Colorado, right? And you you wandered into a storefront and how much it was about a person-to-person thing, that somebody talked, sat down with you and talked to you about what your hopes and dreams were, and they talked about their own hopes and dreams, and it really connected for you. And that I, I like to use your example because... David Miscavige has so turned that into the polar opposite where he doesn't trust his own people to talk about Scientology, to bring people in. He wants machines to do it. He's got uh, all these displays set up at the ideal org. He wants you to be seduced by a video he's produced. He does not want science. He doesn't trust his own people to talk about Scientology the way that, that, you know, worked for somebody like you back in 1970. Right. And the other thing about my going, my first encounter with the Scientologists was 
that was a franchise. They're called Missions now. Right. Um, and that was a big difference. They were a lot more laid back and friendly than orgs were, churches. Um, and yeah, it was it was fun. There was a whole lot of flirting going on and pizza <laughs> and talking about OT abilities and past lives, all kinds of shit like that. You can't wow. do that now, I right. guess. Right. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, Rachel S. really uh, was a great, um, I was really smart of them to move her up in the in the progression, I thought. And I think uh, at that point, the Scientology content had been sort of lessening. And it had been a few days before we'd heard. And she brought it back in a big, big way. Yep. So I, I really think uh, she she did a great job in this trial. I think so, too. My last thing was uh, what got me in the pit of my stomach. Um, Jane Doe 2's mom, uh, she said, I'm 75 years old. And I went, boing, so am I. And then it hit me that um, my daughter is probably the same age as uh, Jane Doe, too, or roughly. Right. And I know from the way that child care stuff was going, there was all kinds of child abuse going on. And I'm pretty sure it's a rape tolerant culture. You can't even say the word. Right. And I went, oh, my God, has my daughter been raped? Mm. And I'm like, oh, shit. Shit. And I get angry all over again. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, they're using her name in court, the mom. I, I'm not. Just, just I, I know she's not thrilled about publicity. And... Um, she she I thought she was also very effective in the first trial. She's very sympathetic. And you know, she just hates what she heard from her mother, her daughter. And for me, one of the most memorable moments in the first trial was when I think Cohen was cross-examining her. And you know, you you could see from the testimony she's had health issues um she's she's 75 but she's you know a little frail and it's clearly that she's she's had a bout with cancer and that kind of thing and so her voice is a, it falters a little bit okay so you just want to hug her you know it's like it's gonna be okay you're gonna be fine mm. and so when cohen's coming down on her like you didn't use she didn't use the word rape you didn't use the word rape and and all of a sudden i don't know where it came from but she got real strong all of a sudden she said look I had a different concept of what rape is in 2003. Right. I thought it meant some guy jumping out of a bush with a ski mask on and attacking you with a knife or a gun. I didn't realize it was about consent. And when she said that, I thought, oh, I hope this is sinking into the jury because that's like one of the most basic bedrock things the prosecution has had to get across to this jury. It's about consent, and now she understood it. Now, in this retrial, I think Cohen knew it was coming, <laughs> and so he didn't quite give her the opportunity to hammer it. She did go, she did give that speech again this time, um, and I hope the jury heard it this time because it's very important that um, 
you know, she she had a different concept of that then and she understands now. The, the biggest issue with her is that she made some statements to police. You know, see, people don't understand, and I, how can they? When you first go into the police, you're, you know, you're an intelligent, educated person. What do intelligent, educated people do? They self-deprecate. They're always like, oh, I'll do my best to remember. It's kind of a blur. I mean, you say that to the police just because that's how people talk, you know, and then give a detailed description of what happened. So then you get into trial three, five, six years later, and the defense attorney is saying, didn't you tell the police it's all a blur? You know, and they're punishing you for just talking like a human being and trying to be humble. And I, that's, that's the way point. that's the way I perceive it, is that with her and some other people, they're on the stand trying to say, look, I didn't, I didn't quite understand the situation. And it's not that they were they were admitting to something. That's just how you talk when you're kind of nervous and you're on the spot and you don't know the situation. You're like, well, it's kind of a blur, but I'll do my best to remember. And then they use that against you. And so that, you know, it's tough to see her go through that. And, and she definitely had to go through that this time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we, you brought up the leak. Let's talk about the leak uh, a little bit more. Um, no, we did talk about the leak, didn't we? Oh, uh, a I, little bit. We didn't really talk about what was in there. Well, I, I think I did mention with the leak. I mean, um, he was saying police reports, uh, uh, private emails between the victims and police. Oh, yeah. Okay. Text messages, photos, you know. And I think that's why the Marcy's Law Attorney came in to say something like, this is the essence of what Marcy's Law is supposed to be protecting these women from, is the sharing of their private information, the sharing of their, you know, the, the, you know, who, you know, basically the things that they've talked to police about. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the judge and the DA are really unhappy. Uh, and... Also, oh, let me tell you what was new this on Friday. Um, on Wednesday, Judge Omedo had asked the DA, are you going to go to law enforcement with this? And mm -hmm. he had and he had said yes. Now, two days later, he said he had to be kind of circumspect. And so um he wasn't giving anything away about about that. But, you know, Kate, I mean, if the district attorney is, the county district attorney is going to go to law enforcement with a problem like this, he's not going to the LAPD. He's going to the attorney general or he's going to the FBI, right? So that's very interesting. And then, but the, what was new this time was she asked him if they're going to the state bar. So what does that mean? That means that they're going to make complaints specifically about these attorneys sharing this information. So that's very interesting. And of course, he was being very non-committal and circumspect. So we don't I know exactly. That. Yeah, we don't know exactly what they're going to do about that. Um, but you know, then I hear from people that are saying, "Look, we've looked it up. We don't see where there's any penalties here." It's like you know. So I think that's one of the things I'm going to be really interested in. While the jury's deliberating next week, maybe we'll get some clarity about, you know, what rules were violated, what are the possible penalties, 
And uh, it would just be a lot of fun to see these attorneys be hauled in to talk. Oh, boy, I hope so. Even if it's just Mesero, somebody got to get it. Um, <laughs> all right, all right. This is a huge trial. This is this is not me too. This is me too, me too, me too, me too. This is like four, six, eight women. Right. And I know that this is one of your pet peeves. <laughs> Why would you... Would you suppose this isn't getting the kind of media attention that I think it should be getting? You know, I think it's because of a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, it's a retrial. So we did have a good amount of press for the first day um, with opening statements. Uh, and they will come back on Tuesday for closing arguments. I mean, I I, I really do believe they are interested. They just don't want to hear the same testimony over again that was in the first trial. And only, only real, you know, donkeys like myself that are doing the hard work are the ones that come and, you know, all that load up the hill. So the other thing, but the other thing is um, the, the first trial was um, Weinstein was the distraction. And the Harvey Weinstein trial was happening just down the hall in the same courtroom. And so a lot of the reporters were coming back and forth and back and forth. Um, and I know they were very distracted by that. This time, uh, it's this writer strike. And so I was told right from the beginning, because I checked in with some of my reporter friends, particularly the ones at the trades, right? Um, Variety and Deadline and the rap. And, and they were all telling me, Tony, we just, we can't come. This is, there's just too much going on with the strike. And it's not just that the writers are striking, but I guess the contracts are also running out for both the directors and the actors. So this is a this is like their biggest story of the year. And so that adds to the issue with it being repeated testimony. But I think they'll be back Tuesday. I think they'll be very interested in a verdict. There will be a lot of coverage at that point. But uh, as far as, you know, for people who want the day-to-day of what's happening with this, I mean, that's the people I'm trying to help out. So, so uh, you know, there have been a few of us, a few of us on press row, but not too many. Okay. When all is said and done, this really needs to be a documentary. You know, I talk to TV people and their big issue is they don't have images. It's, it's just really hard for them that it's not on camera. Um, they, they, the exhibits will ultimately be available. We'll get some pictures of people, but they'll have to blur those out. So it's just not visually great for documentary people. Some of the best documentaries are recreation with word for word text. And you've got that. Uh, and it would really be great. Uh, I don't know. Your voice is really cool. You would be the narrator. That's what I'm thinking. Well, you you had some idea. You had some ideas along this line, didn't you? I'm I'm curious yeah. to learn more about that. So theater company, yeah. Definitely need to look into that. It could be fun. There's been some amazing uh, interchanges during this trial. <laughs> I love Jade Three, for example. You know, Sean Hawley is so much more polite uh, than Cohen. And um, she really 
seems very genuinely compassionate about the person she's cross-examining. And at one point, James Doe 3 was just like, you know, you seem so nice. You make me think you're a friend. And I know you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. <laughs> Poor Jane Doe 3. That must have been so <laughs> tough. Not. Oh, it, in the first trial, every morning, Master Sid would come in with a wave and go, good morning to the jury. He did during jury selection, not during the trial itself. Uh, uh, yes, in the I, you're right. In the first trial, during jury selection, when each new gr group was brought in, uh, the judge asked the defense team and the prosecution team to introduce themselves. And Cohen would stand up and say, I'm, my, you know, I'm, I'm Phil Cohen, is my co-counsel, Karen Goldstein, and we represent the defendant, uh, and Daniel Masterson. And at that point, he would bring his hand up and say, good morning. And the whole group would say, good morning. And I heard from attorneys who said that was really inappropriate and the judge should yeah. be allowing it. Yeah. I heard that um, the same thing was going on in the Weinstein trial from the other reporters. And they were kind of curious about that. I did notice this time he just did this. He didn't say anything uh, to the first three groups. And then on the fourth group, I think, he finally said, He just raised his hand. Like yeah, a, just the, a, the first a, three, he just raised his hand. Yeah. But the, I think I think one of the four groups, he said, good morning. Um, so he's, I don't know if something somebody said something to him or not, but definitely a little different this time. And uh, you know, people always ask me about his composure in general. And I have to say, he's just been really steady, not showing much of anything at all. I've heard from some people that come into the courtroom and say, oh, he looks terrible. He looks like you know, he must think he's going down. I'm like, I don't see that. He just he comes over and gives his mom a hug and talks to his wife. And he just seems like he's just like, you know, doing his best. Okay, he's keeping his TRs in. I mean, that's the best I can say. He is keeping his TRs in and just being very steady. The difference, though, was Friday um, because uh, the husband yeah. to one of the Jane Doe's was sitting in the front row. And I I was busy with something on my computer. But uh, somebody there that I know uh, who saw this was really right behind this guy said that Danny got really uh, agitated. And looked over at this guy and says, what's your problem? You got a problem? Something like that. And it turns out that this husband of Jane Doe One was, you know, staring at him pretty hard. And Madison really didn't like it and uh, got the bailiff involved. And the bailiff came over and said to the guy, you need to look in other directions, et cetera. And then they got the judge involved. And so that part I did, I don't know how I missed all this. I guess I was updating something on my computer. But um, the, I definitely it recorded in my transcript what the what the judge was saying. She was saying, you know, look, um, apparently this man in the front row has been staring at Mr. Masterson in a way he doesn't like. And Masterson had, you know, definitely kind of lost his cool there for a moment. But other than that, he's been pretty steady. Judge Almeida uh, told the man she wasn't going to exclude him, but he needed to stop staring just at Masterson. That's and right. she and she admonished all of us once again, poker faces, people, poker faces. Uh, at that point, um, 
a little bit later, the man got up and left uh, with the Marcy's law attorney, who then returned without him. And then the judge kind of, you could see, she was like, she looked at the Marcy's law attorney and said, listen, I want to make it clear. I did not exclude him. He could stay if he wants. But I think he decided to leave on his own at that point. So that was the, the one time um, that Masson apparently has kind of lost his school. And it comes, you know, at the very end of the second trial. Um, so he just needs to get through Tuesday's closing arguments. And then uh, and we'll be in jury deliberations. Uh, wow. I mean, and of course, everyone wants to know what is the... Every, Kate, every time I've looked at the jury, they just seem to be paying attention, looking at whoever's on the witness stand. And I don't, I can't see them enough. I know there are people that kind of stare at them and figure out which, if anybody's nodding or shaking their head, I, I don't, I can't see anything. So I really don't know. And I, I think we learned last time it's, it's kind of useless to guess. We just don't know. Uh, last time the uh, jury was in favor of Masterson. There were more votes for acquittal than conviction. Um, so, you know, the prosecution seems to me has done a much better job this time. And so they'll be hoping that they can make up those votes. Um, Masterson, once again, is not going to call any defense witnesses. So I think they're thinking they did well enough with cross-examination that they can get a, a, a maybe a, a jury. It's hard to believe they get a straight out acquittal, but I don't know. You don't know what juries, Kate. You just don't know. Who was it? Who said, or it could have been someone commenting that going on in his mind is, I got this. No, I'm, I'm, I'm innocent. No one's going to find me guilty. Someone was saying that, and that would be his opinion leader ups that cock on mind. Right. I think you're right about that, and also. I did overhear Bijou that one time saying to him, "They're all we know. They're all lying." Um, I got criticized by that by some people that I would report that. I don't understand why people would have a hard time. I mean, of course, Bijou thinks they're lying. How do you think she deals with this and copes with the fact that these women are up there calling her husband a, a monster? Of course, she thinks they're lying. Of course, the mother thinks they're lying. Uh, you know, you know that's what they think about them. They they think this is all. I'm sure the Madison family thinks this is really just an attack on the Church of Scientology. That these women are part of some coordinated campaign against Scientology, and so they're making stuff up and lying about Masterson. That's why I think it's you know they bring on these uh, uh, corroborating witnesses who weren't Scientologists, right? So Jane Doe 1's husband, Jane Doe 2's yeah. friend, um, to say, yeah, they told me about this 15 years ago. As nothing, they didn't know each other at the time. You know, so the prosecution has done, I think, what it can to dispel that idea. Um, but of course the Masterson think that. They have to think that. You know, that's that's how they get through this. Don't you think? I don't think so. For some reason, I have got an image in my mind, and it won't go away, of something 
the Commodore would do to management people on flag who messed up an evaluation or didn't get something right. He would order them to take a cardboard box. Do you know about this? No, I don't. Okay, this this would go <laughs> on every week. He'd order them to take a cardboard box and write on it like New York org, and then I'll take a sledgehammer and have at it. He ordered them to like smash it. This is what you're doing. I remember that. And wow. I don't know why that entered my mind, but it did. Oh, I know why. Because Kakan. And around that was around the same time Kakan was like invented. He would do that. You imagine? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. But that but that it's, that Kakan was somebody that could escape that kind of, of yeah. ethics ethics damage or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that was that was something, but compare that to what Miscavige is doing, like throwing people in the hole in barrels full of cold water and yeah. <laughs> the difference is what real. Yeah, I mean Scientology was never great, but boy, <laughs> it, it it has become so evil over the years, so evil. And also, I just you know, uh, it just seems um, you spend so much money for something that's very repetitive and very I don't know, it doesn't seem very fun to me. <laughs> You got, I never spent any money on it. I mean, like I, I paid for my comm course and, you know, maybe, and some books way at the beginning, but then I was Sea Org. So then I you were Sea really Org, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm wow. clear, but I never did OT levels. Thank goodness. Well, I remember what you I know. loved, what I loved about your book was that uh, I love, I especially love the thing where you had to go to New York and basically create things with nothing. And, <laughs> and I love the way you describe that and how you were Sea Org. You're going to make it go right. And the struggles that you went through, uh, the, the, the living on basically nothing. Um, I don't know. Please tell us the title of your book so people can go get it because it's so wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's called A Queer and Pleasant Danger. That's how I see myself, Tony. And the subtitle is the fun part. The true story of a nice Jewish boy who joins the Church of Scientology and leaves 12 years later to become the lovely lady she is today. <laughs> so great. So great. Yeah. And I'm Wonderful. proud of my titles. <laughs> Wonderful book. Uh, and so please, if you haven't read that, people, it's one of the most unique memoirs of the whole Scientology genre. And uh, wow, this has been a lot of fun, Kate. Uh, I really enjoy uh, your questions and I'm so glad, you know, you're you're the person I'm writing for. You're the person I want trying to bring into that courtroom. Uh, and it means so much to me that obviously uh, you appreciate it. I do. And I've missed batting it back and forth with you. And I thank you for the opportunity because you're so much fun to talk with. <laughs> and it's uh, and and please give Barbara my love. I really I, I've got to get back together with you guys at Patsy's one of these days. Yeah. Uh, we've had some wonderful times doing that. All right, my darling friend. All right, Kate. Thank you so much.
for helping me with another episode of the Underground Bunker Podcast. Talk to you later. Ciao, Bella. <laughs> <laughs>